Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 5, Episode 16, for Saturday the 29th of April 2023. And coming up this week, the third book in my latest trilogy is now finished in first draft form. And just to show I'm full of surprises, I just paid for pro writing aid for a full year, and my membership of the Crime Writers Association has now begun. Let's start with the writing update because this is the most exciting thing of the week. It's finished. The trilogy is finished. So I'm delighted. Let me go through the stats. On Saturday the 15th of April, which was... Was it last Saturday? No, it was the Saturday before, so it's ages ago now. It was the last time I spoke to you. Anyway, Saturday the 15th of April, I wrote 1,500 words for my author notes. That left me with 13,650 words to write and nine chapters. And that's what I've been doing this week. So I did that on that Saturday. That was the last podcast I dropped with an author diary in it. Then my mum came to stay. And then I started writing again Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. So this Monday, or this last Monday, I wrote 4,878 words. On Tuesday, 4,519 words. And on Wednesday, 3,806 words. That brings my word count, my total word count for that book now, to 74,569 words. So I'm just slightly short of the 75,000 words that I promised Claire Cronshaw for editing. Now, the previous two books were slightly over. This is slightly under, so my budget probably will come about dead on, I would think, by the time we factored that in. My total book stats then, just to give you an idea of how long it's taken me to write this book, because I, I went through the calendars and, and made some notes because it's quite interesting to hear this stuff. I started writing this trilogy on Tuesday the 20th of September. Now when I look back at my calendar, I didn't write it properly. If you recall, I, I started really slowly with the trilogy, it's a long time ago now, but I started by doing, I think it was the prologue, then the final chapter, and I really eased myself gently. So I certainly didn't get going properly until probably October. It's taken me 55 writing days to complete this trilogy. Remember in first draft form, the total number of words for the trilogy is 225,000 words, which means that my average words count per writing day is 4,090. So I've actually dropped my writing or my number of words I write in a day. It's been reduced from, well, before Spain. When I was writing before Spain, I would write 5,000 plus words per day. And I've actually re reduced that quite substantially by 1,000 words per day. I'm still writing three chapters, but I've just carved it all up slightly differently but I am writing less now than I was for instance when I was doing rapid release I'd get 5,000 and something words done uh, per day at that point so that feels great I was struggling a little bit with those last chapters not with the the present day plot but I got into a few little difficulties with the the plot that runs in the past only that I got uh, so many chapters in and I thought, or I felt like, I've told this story now, I don't really want to say any more. If I say any more, I feel like I'm going to be stretching it out. So I, I looked at how to pace the book and whether I could um, drop the, the past scenes in maybe every four chapters rather than every, every three chapters. And in the end, uh, I had some inspiration. I was fine to write a couple of extra chapters in the, the well, it's 1960s, 1970s section. And it actually brings you right up to the current day in actual fact. I did manage to get that done. So the book's fine. I did insert actually a, a, an extra present day chapter. So I think I dropped one past chapter and inserted a present day chapter and that made it all work and come together nicely. So that all feels uh, very good. I'm totally relieved at having done the trilogy. I was really quite nervous about coming off and finishing it off at the beginning of this week, but it always feels like a, like a phenomenal a project and achievement when you've done a, a trilogy. How many trilogies have I done now? Don't tell Meg, I've done three, three Morecambe Bay trilogies. I've done the Secret Bunker trilogy and I've done the Grid trilogies. That's six trilogies plus this one. Is that seven trilogies now? 21 books as trilogies. Unfortunately, I love the arc of a trilogy, but you know, wow, I feel like I've had enough of that for a little while. I think whatever comes next, 
is going to need to be a standalone, maybe a standalone or two. Oh, well, actually, there's another. I've done another one because I did the one for John and James. So it's eight eight trilogies, twenty four books as trilogies. I mean, that's that's ridiculous and crazy, isn't it? But as I say, I do like the arc of a trilogy. Um, but wow, it's it's quite a hike. <laughs> it is quite a hike to steer, uh, you know, three books right so that each book has its own crest, its own uh, you know peak and its own kind of crisis point but across the three books you also manage to re sustain that tension and keep everything going i'm never quite sure how i do it until i kind of read it and edit it but anyhow we're there we have it done in first draft form of course that now means lots and lots of editing now i was particularly delighted to connect with claire jennison on instagram now uh, claire and i've been connected uh, for a little while and i i had a look at what claire was up to i could see that she's an editor and she's a psychological suspense author i can't remember how it came up maybe something she'd said on one of the posts or something like that but i found out that she she lives in hull which is of course where my trilogy is is located well we, we got chatting this week uh, as I say, Claire is a psychological suspense author, so she knows one end of a psychological thriller from another. She's published, self-published two of her own books in that genre and uh, is about to be published by Bloodhound Books in May and September, if I think I've got that correctly. So two books this year. So um, she's hit one of my holy grails, which is to be published by uh, Bloodhound Books, which is one of my favoured uh, authors for that genre. And Claire is also a an editor. She's got editing services, so you can check her out at penningandplanning.com. I'll put the links on this week's show notes. But um, Claire and I got chatting and uh, it turns out that she's read Don't Tell Meg and she's read the first Morecambe Bay trilogy. So she kind of knows what she's in for, <laughs> which is always a good thing, I think, before you promise anything. But Claire has agreed to act as a hull beta reader for my new books. So because she knows the area, I lived there, of course, several years ago. Before I release those books, I'm going to spend, well, if, you've, if you listen very carefully, you'll know that we've planned a trip to Hull. One of those days is going to be, or one of those days was going to be just checking the locations I've used in the book in Hull and taking photographs. Then we were going to go to, to um, Rotterdam for a couple of days on the ferry from Hull. And we were going to go straight back home. But because I've actually got so many different locations in my books, I've extended that visit so that when we get back from Rotterdam, we're going to spend an extra day in Hull. And we're going to uh, we're going to uh, visit more locations, take more photos. So I've got a bit more time in Hull now to do that. Uh, but Claire, because she lives in that area currently, is obviously going to read the books and, and do the usual beta reading kind of stuff. But specifically, she's there to cast an eye over it as somebody who lives in Hull to make sure I'm not wide of the mark on any of the local references that I make. So that that's brilliant. And this is serendipity, isn't it? It's these marvellous contacts that you make on social media. It's just amazing where people are based. And uh, you know, great that Claire was a reader first and he's now very happy to do the beta reading there. So if you want to take a look at where Claire's up to, uh, her website is penningandplanning.com. As I said then, <laughs> I've got a lot of editing to do now. Now, where are we up to with the editing? So book one is edited. It's sitting in a book funnel file and it's ready. I could send it right now to beta readers, but I'm not going to, but I could send it right now to beta readers. Now, the reason I don't want to send it just yet to beta readers is before the beta readers get it, I want to pay those visits to Hull and just make sure I haven't messed anything up with locations. And also now I've got book three finished I want that to go through the editing processes just to make sure I don't have to make any timeline tweaks, any character tweaks, any any just any minor tweaks in book one where I think, well, actually, book one will be. Now I've, now I've written book three. I know exactly what happens. I could just improve book one with a little mention of this here or removing that there. So I just reserve that right to do those last minute tweaks on book one. So. So book one is sitting there. I could release it right now, but I'm not going to because there may well be one or two little bits that just need changing. These are going to be tiny things now. Nothing major, just literally tiny, tiny little things. Maybe insert a sentence there, remove a sentence here. That, that's all that will be. Book two is due back from Claire Cronshaw for her edit uh, this weekend. I won't touch that for another two weeks because my priority now is to go through book three, the one I've just written in first draft form. I need to go through that and edit it and make sure that's all okay. 
I'm then going to pass that to my wife for her to read and then get that book ready to send to Claire Cronshaw for her edit. And that's sometime off the top of my head. Don't panic, Claire, if I've got this wrong, uh, because I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I think it's June that it's due in to Claire. So plenty of time. I've got, I've got May basically to work on book three and get that ready. And when, when I've done book three and handed it to my wife, I'll come back, do the final edits on book two, make that into a file on book funnel so it's ready to go to the beta readers and then again just like book one those two books can sit there in theory they're ready to go but i will just wait until we work through all the bits and pieces in book three just to make sure i don't have any final final changes little tweaks to make on books one and two i will by then have made my visit to hull made sure that i've got all my locations right and all the all the with just everything you know, just all the geography of, of the book right and then it will be ready to go to to beta readers so even when it's a beta readers i've got the opportunity to make loads of changes up to october this is the joy i suppose of of, of not putting myself under the cosh with this and releasing the first book on the 2nd of october so i've got a lot of time to work on these books now i'm not going to sit there just you know polishing 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 all the time uh, these are going to be purposeful edits but as i say there's lots of opportunity to make any tweaks that need to be made there so it's all about the editing now and I want to get those two books out of the way uh, by the end of pretty well May, pretty well May. So that feels uh, good in many respects. It feels to me like my summer holiday started already. And by that, I mean the sustained, horrible, difficult work where I have to get my head down and, and do the writing and concentrate for four to five hours a day. That sort of work, that, that that's done now. When I edit, I only edit in hour long stints. I don't do a lot of editing at once because it frazzles my brain. That keeps me fresh. The editing's better if I do it like that. So it'll be an hour, an hour and a bit editing per day, most days to be honest with you, but it doesn't tie your day up like writing does and it doesn't tie your, your headspace up like writing does. So and that's why I'm saying it feels like I'm on my summer holidays now because the, the big work is now done on that trilogy. So let's move on then to the marketing update. I don't have an awful lot to tell you about the marketing really, just tiny little updates, tiny little course corrections. I was looking at my Facebook ads, which are doing fine. Uh, I'm actually just promoting. I've got uh, a lot of reviews on the Morecambe Bay nine pack as a result of the promos I was doing. I've stopped those promos now, but uh, I've got over a hundred and something reviews on that book now, if I can do it quick enough. I'll tell you how many I've got. I'll be clicking away when I'm talking. Um, but I've taken that off of the promo now because uh, I, I just realized, I just felt that the, the 12 pack of books does better. So I've put the, the 12 pack back yet. So on, the, on the, the, the series of promos I've done have now given me 145 reviews on that nine pack. So just literally from a lots of, having lots of reviews point of view, it's great to have done that. Just if that's all the ads achieved, it's great to have done that. And those reviews are averaging at 4.5 out of five across 145 reviews. So that's great, very happy with that. It, it makes that nine pack was probably looking a little bit unloved before I did those promos on it. So um, it, it's at least achieved that and that's a great thing to have done. So my lead book again now, I've gone back to my 12 pack on Facebook uh, that I'm advertising. And that book now has 3,526 reviews on it, and they are reviewing at 4.4 average. So as I said to you, as a body of work, I'm really kind of pleased with that at 4.4. I'm very, very pleased with that. What I have noticed uh, about a lot of the thriller readers that I look at in my genre, that when they start getting up to, I mean, they do, they get far more reviews than I do. They're into five, six, seven thousands, but it, the, the reviews do seem to go down towards four, the lower ends of four, the more reviews you got. But I'm, I'm happy with 4.5 and 4.4 on, on bodies of work like that. I feel quite pleased with that. And interestingly, by the way, the Morecambe Bay six pack, which is what I'd previously been leading with on Facebook, and we'll probably come back to, that has 713 reviews now, and that's at a 4.4 out of five um, average. So this is what I was saying to you in previous weeks, the box sets seem to do really well when you promote a body of work. They seem to do really well when you promote them um, through Facebook. Now, what I decided to do is I, I was just having a think back to when I had my kind of big months on on Facebook. And I was thinking, why, why does it feel 
not quite as good as it was then. It's still they're still making profits, still shifting books. It's fine, but not at the same level. And what I remembered is that the tweak that I made is, and this is what uh, Matthew J. Holmes will tell you to do, and I think most people who tell you to do Facebook ads will tell you to do this. They generally say target whatever it is, psychological thrillers, cozy crime, different authors, whatever it is you're targeting. And then they say, and also include, and you do this in a separate section, uh, Kindle books. It's something like Kindle books and something else. I can't remember what, what they are. Kindle, is it Kindle readers, Kindle books, something like that. And when I did the first adverts, I didn't put the Kindle readers on. I just literally targeted people who were interested in those authors or those genres. And what I decided to do was just test the ads, exactly the same ads, nothing changed. But what I did was I removed the, the Kindle bit and just sent it to the readers or the categories. And what I've noticed, interestingly, is that my conversion, my profits have gone straight up since doing that. So I'm just going to ride that for a couple of days and just see if that continues. But I thought that's an interesting little test. But that's the only thing now that's changed between the ads that I did when I had the 16,000 plus month and the ads I'm doing now. So I'm just testing that. It's a couple of days in. I did notice this morning that the profits were right up. So I've started to increase my budgets more. I'm just waiting to see what happens with that, but I'll let you know whether that that works over a period of weeks. The other thing about Amazon ads is now I finished writing the book, my days are going to be carved up slightly differently. Now, clearly editing is the priority, but I'm now scheduling on the days when my wife is working. I don't want to waste that time and fritter it away. So I've now started to schedule what I'm calling learning hours. Uh, just which are an hour of concentrated learning and the sort of things I'll be doing there are Sophie Hannah's dream author uh, whatever it's called dream author program I'll be doing the Matthew J Holmes Amazon ads work any kind of learning that I need to do as part of the business now my priority is going to be the part of Matthew J Holmes's Amazon course which involves interrogating your data and you know recording it on spreadsheets and things like that that's the next priority i have a feeling though that the next seven days will probably be taken up just catching up with the pro writing aid content that they've done this week for their crime week and i'll talk to you about that in a little bit more detail in a moment but as far as amazon ads are concerned as soon as i've gone through the pro writing aid content i'm going to move on to the amazon ads learning as a matter of priority to try and really crack these amazon ads now a couple of book bub updates for you too I'd submitted the Morecambe Bay uh, 2 trilogy that was rejected. Um, sorry, it's the second Morecambe Bay trilogy that was rejected on the 14th of April. And then I've also submitted the Morecambe Bay 9 pack of books um, that was submitted. Was it on the 22nd of April? That was rejected on Tuesday the 25th. And I can't remember whether I've submitted anything else yet. I don't think I have. So I need to get something else submitted. And basically I'll look at my spreadsheet and see whatever's next and get that submitted to BookBub and see if we get any joy there. In other writing related news then, my membership of the Crime Writers Association had gone through. There was a little bit of delay in me paying and me getting access to the website and things like that. And the thing that I most wanted access for was you get the logo, the nice little logo download within the members area and I wanted to make sure that that Crime Writers Association logo is at the top of the uh, crime writing page, my thrillers page on paulteague.net, my, my website. And I also have put it on the right hand navigation of my podcast page. And if I ever get to sending mail emails again, I'll probably put it on my uh, emails as well. It's really just, uh, I don't know, a status symbol is not, not the right thing, is it? But it's really just a credibility thing, I think, you know, to show that you're in the Crime Writers Association. Um, and But also, I'm, I'm particularly looking at it, it's a positioning thing for me, and a networking thing. That's what I'm looking for from the Crime Writers Association. In that what I haven't done since I've been writing my books is I haven't gone like to the Theakstons event, uh, the big crime writing festival with Theakstons. And uh, obviously I haven't joined the Crime Writers Association. And my feeling is that if I, I'm fairly confident that I'm gonna be doing some kind of course from September, whatever it turns out to be, but that if I'm gonna look at doing this and maybe getting an agent or an author, I need to start making sure I'm mixing in the right circle. So I really need to dedicate myself to, to crime fiction, uh, you know, from 
after I get these books released. So so it's strategic, like like most things are, but it's strategic more than anything. And interestingly, Jackie Beard, who I've mentioned before, Jackie also writes in my genre. Uh, Jackie wrote to me this week and said, uh, huge thanks for mentioning the Crime Writers Association membership on this week's podcast. I've long aspired to join, but didn't realise it was open to indies. And I've also just been accepted thanks to your top tip. So that, that's great news, Jackie. And I, I'm the same, Jackie. I, I, I don't know what well, I told you what made me look. It was because I knew the guy who joined it and I knew that he'd just self-published his latest book. I, I think his others were published. And it just made me look at it again. And then I saw, oh, they are taking indies now. So I, I probably did look at it in the past and then found that we they weren't open to indies. And interestingly, when I went into the the membership area, I think it does make some reference about, you know, we, we only recently started allowing indies to join interestingly the threshold i think for indies is a lot higher than it is for traditional in that if you're traditionally published and you write crime as far as i can see you're in if you're traditionally published whereas uh, so i don't I, I can't swear by this because i didn't do the full application process as a traditional author but it doesn't didn't look to me and i might be wrong about this but it didn't look to me like they have to hit the sales thresholds we had to have a 500 um, sales on a book or actually the the KENP threshold was very low I think it was 7,000 page reads is what I should have gone for I'm about uh, just short of 25 million page reads now so maybe I should have gone for that uh, but it was 500 sales of an ebook 300 of a paperback or 7,000 KENP or page reads but anyhow that was good news for me and Jackie we're both members now of the Crime Writers Association and talking of crime, Pro Writing Aid, their Crime Writers Week has been excellent this week. If this is your thing, if this is your genre, please make sure that you check out Pro Writing Aid's Crime Writers Week. These weeks are excellent, actually. They're, they really are very good. And, and in a surprise news, I did say this in the headlines. I have gone ahead and purchased Pro Writing Aid. They had a big uh, discount on it for this Crime Writers Week. So I think it cost me £58.23 for the year. And I just thought I really, it would really be useful to me now if I could get the hang of using Pro Writing Aid. I'm hearing so many people talk about it. it the problem must be me. It must be with me not, not using it properly. So I've bought it for the year. It's nice and cheap. 58.23 for the year is fine. That gives me plenty of time to sit down, try and figure it out and learn how to, to use it. And I, to be honest with you, I, I quite like to run the books through ProWriter again. I, th I think they're using kind of more AI or something now. I'm just hearing a lot about it and I've just thought, yeah, I need to give this another chance. So I have and I've taken the opportunity to grab that discount. I don't, 60 quid for a year, you know, it can sit there for three months until I get to it as far as I'm concerned at that price. So, um, again just hoping to prove that i'm open-minded to these things uh, i've tried it before i'm going to try it again and see if i can crack pro writing aid there's just too many people uh, saying that they're getting benefit from it now so the problem must be me not pro writing aid so if you ever hear me saying i love pro writing aid then you'll you'll know i've been on a real journey with this but i do i do want to have another look at it because it seems daft to to turn your back on something that might really help you with your writing i as promised did some sprints now when i did those author notes two weeks ago it feels like ages ago now i did want to try the owrite.co software i said to you i didn't really understand what sprints were about but I, I just wanted to try it now i think i'm probably the world's worst sprinter because i i joined the big communal sprint in owrite and it was just it's almost like i went to a party had a drink and then left without saying hello to anybody because i just turned up I did me 15,000 words and I went and nothing happened. So I, I'm guessing that when you do sprints, you're kind of supposed to say things like, or maybe write with a partner and say, I'm doing 15,000 words, you know, don't talk to me until I've done it or whatever. I'm, not, I'm really not quite sure what it is, but my, my feeling was is that it feels like it needs to be something interactive and something where you kind of encourage each other. But I mean, hopefully, what you've heard from the fact that I've just done 225,000 words of a trilogy since September is that I don't really I don't really feel that I need that now I'm very happy for somebody again to change my mind about sprints or to explain to me what the benefits of sprints are and I'm also extremely happy for other people to use sprints if that's what helps you get your words you know do whatever you have to to get your words I don't I don't mind that but I don't think I don't think there's anything in sprints for me personally I'm very 
self-motivated as you, you'll have heard if you listen to the uh, writer diary things that I did when I was doing the second book uh, you know even if I'm struggling I can still sit down and force myself to do the writing so I don't think there's anything in sprints for me other than a distraction that's how I feel but if I'm really missing something you know if I've got the plot wrong drop me a note and let me know but I, you know I, I would genuinely like to know because I, I just I kind of just don't get it I'm afraid with sprints so um Living Writer is the software that I've spoken to you about before. It's it's a cloud alternative to Scrivener. It's very close to Scrivener uh, in the way that Scrivener works. A little bit easier, a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more flexible than Scrivener. I've written this trilogy, this last trilogy in Scrivener, because Living Writer wasn't quite right. But they've just done a major upgrade on Living Writer, and it's now available uh, as an app. I've been looking at it this week playing around with it it looks really good really robust um, so you, you've got a really good kind of scrivener like program that you can now use in the cloud now i paid for living writer last year i think the subscription up is up in july so i'm going to try and get some writing done in it at some point writing or editing just to use it but i think i'm probably going to whatever i write next i think is going to be in living writer I want to put it through its paces and decide whether I'm going to extend that uh, subscription for another year and make the switch from Scriven. I really want to be in an app. I really want to be in the cloud with my writing now. I'm connected to the Atticus Facebook page and I see a lot of queries in Atticus, people saying about this or that isn't working. Um, so my, my policy is going to be what I'm going to try next is Living Writer, export it, and I'm, I'm still going to do my formatting in vellum i still love vellum i think it's brilliant it's going to take a lot to knock vellum off its perch as far as i'm concerned and because i've paid for vellum when you when you get vellum you pay for it once if you if you do the that option i've paid my money for vellum i own it i get all the updates for free i love vellum so there's nothing making me move from vellum so again until something really really encourages me to pivot i'm going to stick with my writing software which currently is scrivener may well become living writer and Atticus stays on my radar as well but I'm, I'm not ready to move to Atticus yet I'm, I'm just seeing too many queries and problems with it on the Facebook page and then I'm going to do my formatting in vellum because I love doing my formatting in vellum now I've put a link to living writer on the show notes this week but also I've put a link to a blog post where the living writer uh, blogger compares living writer software to Scrivener it compares the two and says you know what are the strengths of, of the two of them now obviously it's biased towards living writer uh, but I just thought it's uh, I think most of us are probably using Scrivener uh, if you're not using Word most people are using Scrivener though actually it's, you probably can't even say that now can you I think we're all getting divided because a lot of people will be using Atticus now um, but anyhow if you want to see a comparison between living writer and Scrivener I've put a blog post on this week's show notes interestingly uh, I think I was saying to you, was it in last week's episode? Yeah, I was talking about things that had moved the needle and things that hadn't moved the needle. And I said that Twitter hadn't moved the needle, but it had moved the needle in terms of this podcast. It hadn't made me any sales, but in terms of relationships, I found uh, Twitter brilliant. And interestingly, this week, I posted a graphic of my, is it 19? How many, how many? Yeah, 19, my 19 psychological thrillers. And I used that Crime Writers Association graphic uh, in, in the picture that I put on Twitter and I, it was just basically saying about time too I'm a member of the Crime Writers Association and it got quite a lot of reaction online but one piece of reaction I got was from a local group which has author events and I got an in invitation to a local hotel in the Lake District to do an author talk a, you know a crime author talk uh, in bonus on Windermere later in the year but but also and this is I love the serendipity of all of this it's just great and our podcasts are great I tell you they're really really great for connecting with people this lady who contacted me has written a book about Parkrun which I'm very aware of through Parkrun circles it's been uh, bigged up on the Parkrun podcast that I listened to so I was very aware of this book the lady who's invited me to talk at bonus in Windermere is the author of the park run book she's also invited me to a park run event that they've got with the chap who started park run years and years ago uh, a guy who, who I'd sort of love to meet so I've been invited to an event there I can't remember when it is September and I think they want me back in October to do a talk so that's all very exciting and of course the crime writers association membership 
goes to help my credibility with things like that. But it's, it is, honestly, I, I like Twitter. I mean, Twitter is actually my favourite social media channel, I think. And the benefit to me has not been in sales or publicity, but pretty well in the relationships that have been created there and the people who reached out to me as a result of Twitter. For some reason, I've got an awful lot of links to share this week, so I won't go into them in any great detail. I'll just give you a flavor of the links that I'm sharing. And if you want to head to selfpublishingjourneys.com, you can check any of these out if you're interested in them. But there are a lot this week, so apologies for that. I think maybe they've just bunched up over the, the two weeks that I haven't done a diary. First of all then, this was something that particularly took my fancy. So it may not be of interest to you, but I mentioned it anyway. But it's a piece from writersdigest.com. And the title is Writing Parallel Narratives, What They Are and How to Write Them. Now, parallel narratives is the posh word for what I tend to write in my books, which is where I often have, um, you often have something happening in the present and something happening in the past. And the narratives are uh, delivered by different characters in the book. And the narratives touch at some points and converge towards the end but you use the you know one narrative to, to reveal information in the other I really like it as a as a form so I just thought oh that's an interesting article so I'll share that with you because I found that an interesting read and something else that I don't even know where this came from to be honest with you but it's from writersright.co.za and this is uh, an article about Geoffrey Archer's top 10 writing tips. Now, Geoffrey Archer is a, a, a former politician in the UK, quite a controversial one. I won't go into why. You could look him up, <laughs> find the old headlines. But um, he is a great writer, very, very successful writer. And so why wouldn't you want to read Geoffrey Archer's top 10 writing tips? Now, when I read these, there was stuff in there that actually I wouldn't normally read in a, in a tips item. And, and the biggest thing that I got from that, and it was really interesting, was his emphasis on using professionals to improve your writing. So letting professionals in, people who know better than you or have different experience, broader experience than you, to put your writing right. It was just interesting to hear an author who is as experienced and as best-selling as he is to be recommending that. But it's a good article. It's well worth a read. Now, on this podcast, we've been talking about LastPass, the password manager, and we've been sort of plotting the problems that they've been having technically and the poor communication that they delivered. Also, in a previous podcast episode, I updated you on the tools I'm using in my business, some of the things I'm trialing. One of the, the products that I've paid from that I'm trialing at the moment is called uh, is Proton Email. Now, Proton Email is based in Switzerland, which means that legally they can have um, different sort of types of encryption and because it, I don't know all the technicalities of it, but because they're based in Switzerland, basically, I, I don't think governments can make requests to access information and emails. Now, I think email privacy and security is going to become a big thing. This is my my prediction, my tech prediction. And so I'm very interested in using a different kind of email provider. And what, what they don't do is they, they never access your emails in any way. So you'll have heard people talking about Gmail and said, oh, I sent an email about, I don't know, garden gnomes. And then, then the next thing I know, I'm getting adverts about garden gnomes. We've all heard these stories. And I don't know to what extent they're, they're true or not, or to what extent um, Google uh, does look for things in your emails that it can send you ads for. But with Proton Email, they just don't do any of that. It's the whole thing is on security, encryption, privacy, all of this sort of thing. And you, you have to pay for the emails. I've been trialing this and uh, as part of the package that I, I've got, I get huge storage, secure storage for documents. It's not quite like Google Drive in that you can't open the, the, the documents within it, but you can securely store files there. So I'm using that for backup. You also get a free VPN with it and you get a calendar. But this week uh, it was just uh, announced that they're also now releasing a password manager, which uses the same encryption and, and security protocols that they use in the email. Now, I'm not the guy to explain that to you. All I know is that I was a bit peeved off with uh, LastPass for messing things up, but I was perfectly happy with the product. And I don't really feel like I commit to LastPass in the long term. Now, I need to be moving my, my data off there. So what I'm sharing with you on the show notes this week is one article from zdnet.com which is about how to completely remove your data from LastPass service and then also 
I'm going to share an article about the Proton Drive password manager. Now, you've got to you've got to pay to access this. It's it's gonna, it's it's in beta at the moment. They're only letting certain people have it, and I wasn't one of those people, even though I'm paying for the whatever the package is, the, the top package that you can get, the most expensive one. But I dropped them a note and said, I'm just on the verge of changing password manager at the moment. This is really good timing. Please, would you let me have it? And they let me have it, which is great. Now, it's going to be part of my package eventually. It's just I, my package is not in the beta testing. So they've let me have it, which was really good of them. Now, why would you pay for email? Well, the thing is, is that I was paying for VPNs through Avast, who I use for my online security. And I've also been paying for a password manager too. And I was about to pay for a password manager. So by the time you bundle in the cost of a VPN and the cost of a password manager, that makes the email free. Now they do have a free email option within ProtonMail, but you don't have huge storage. It wouldn't last me very long. I know it wouldn't last me very long. So I've had to go for a paid option and probably I'll be able to drop to the middle paid option. I think I'm just getting a feel for how much I'm, I'm going to uh, use it. I'm getting on very well with it, to be honest with you. So if, if these sorts of nerdy technical things are of interest to you, then it's worth having a look at ProtonMail. And if you are thinking also of changing your password manager, if you use one, it's well worth factoring in the fact that ProtonMail have got one and they're going to be introducing it to their packages fairly soon because, um, you know, it's really secure. They're, they're kind of security first ProtonMail. And uh, I'll leave you to read the articles for all the technical geek speak stuff. It's, it, it's not too geeky, to be honest with you, but it will explain it much better than I can here. The Alliance of Independent Authors, it, they have released their author income survey, which is fascinating. And I think the top line of that basically is everybody's discussing it at the moment, but the top line of that is that indie authors earn more than traditional authors. I think the figure's $12,000, if I remember correctly. And I think, is it what is it, about 7,000 or something if you're a traditional author? But I mean, I think we all kind of knew that anyway. And, and clearly, when you start your indie author career, you, you're just like any other author that it's, unless you get very lucky, it's hard to earn anything at all. But I can say with great confidence that I've been earning more than that. If it, if it is 12,000, if I've got the number right, $12,000, been earning more than that for several years, many, many years now, actually. So, you know, it is an achievable is an achievable amount to earn even though it might sound to you impossible if you're right at the early stages of your writing career I would say it's an achievable amount to earn $12,000 and of course what we all know is that indie authors many indie authors are earning way more than that you know they're they're stratospheric with their income and, and no one knows anything about it so I'm really pleased that the Alliance of Independent Authors have actually encapsulated this in a survey at last and I think more information is going to come out about that in future weeks. I've shared one of these nice Twitter threads that I like. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's not really about author information, but it's by a lady called Helen Fields, who is an author. And it's basically on the premise that she's just been reading a lot of reviews. And, and I've experienced this too with my reviews. And she's been at, you know, other, other authors' reviews, but also at events and panels and things like that. And she's noticed a phenomenon and it's encapsulated by the phrase that it, they just wouldn't do that in real life. So we've got a lot of readers saying, oh, that just wouldn't happen in real life. People wouldn't do that in real life. And the whole thread, it's just an amusing, interesting thread, really, which is like, well, you know, if any of us wrote what real life was, it wouldn't be interesting at all. There would be no story if you didn't, if you sort of didn't not bend reality. But if you didn't make people make terrible decisions and they didn't do make terrible decisions there would be no book there that's the whole point of writing a book and that it's imaginative and I and I get this you think well of course they wouldn't do that in real life it's a book you know it's a story and if, if we just all did what we did in real life just sat there and watched the television all evening there is no story so uh, I've noticed this phenomenon it was just an interesting thread about how this author this particular author has also noticed that phenomenon but it's just an interesting and amusing read I thought I'm sharing an article or a link this week from The Guardian. This is a, 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 a competition that's been released for the over 50s for a debut book by a writer who's over 50. It was launched at the London Book Fair. And the premise of it basically is that you 
have a lot of experience over the age of 50. Doesn't mean that you don't before 50, but this is the premise, and that they're encouraging more mature writers to submit books and, and get published. But again, the, the article about um, writing when you're in your latter years, when you're, you know, you're middle-aged, I think you're still middle-aged, 50, aren't you? When you're middle-aged, um, it's uh, just an article about writing in later life, but also if you are over 50 and you haven't released a book yet, you might really be interested in the competition as well. I got a couple of blog articles from Booklinker this week at booklinker.com. Just interesting articles that are worth a read for all of us. The first one is self-editing for authors. I think we could always do with a little bit of input with that, how we self-edit our, our texts before we pass them on to our, our formal editors, our paid editors. And also, this is a very interesting book, a uh, very interesting article, and it's written, would you believe it, by Matthew J. Holmes. I'm sorry this keeps coming round and round in circles, but Matthew J. Holmes wrote this article, but it's a great article, very interesting. It's about how to price a book. How do you price your book? 99 cents, pence, £2.99, £3.99. It's all about the logic of pricing books. So that's shared on this week's show notes. A couple of um, things that have happened this week in, in indie authorland number one that you can now on draft the digital apply coupons so that you can promote any of your books and your ebooks on your own terms so this is one of the promotional things i liked about smashwords but as part of the amalgamation between smashwords and draft the digital you now get these lovely kind of coupon arrangements with draft the digital that's a very welcome move if you remember when i finally changed my mind and started listing with smashwords i commented on it was a bit like being an internet marketer 10, 15 years ago. That uh, is it Mark Coker who set that up? I think it's Mark Coker. It feels to me like he, he was born out, that site was born out of internet marketing 10, 15 years ago, because a lot of the strategies and the things that he offers you there are very much like the sort of things that we were doing back then when we were doing promotions as internet marketers. And they've now introduced this to draft the digital. So, I mean, all this is really, is just a great example of of how lucky we are that Smashwords and Draft the Digital are merging and we're getting the best of all worlds as wide-listed authors. The other thing that I forgot to put the link on, but I need to mention, is that Ingram, I've only half read this, but I just remembered it before I started doing the podcast, that Ingram Spark are no longer charging to list your book. Now, what I haven't done and what I should have done was to find out whether they're charging you now for changes, because Ingram Spark charge you to list a book and then if you subsequently make um, structural changes you know um, not just a little bit of metadata but if you change the the text or the cover they charge you for changes as well what I don't know is whether they're charging you for changes or not now there's a way to defend yourself from any kind of charges on Ingram Spark and that is if you're a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors you get a code every month that gives you free changes and uploads for five books now what will be interesting and i say i do apologize because i haven't checked this out and i should have done if they're not charging you for anything now that'll be very interesting as far as that's concerned because i know a lot of people love that offer in the alliance of independent authors i know i certainly have made great great use of it so uh, we'll put that one on the pending pile for later uh, everybody else will be talking about it on the other podcasts and hopefully they'll have done their research and preparation properly before they tell you about it unlike me here's another article this is from the independent newspaper in the uk i did say there were a lot of links this week this is a bookseller survey uh, based on debut authors but it, it's by a writer who's written for years that he's basically saying that he thinks that new writers, debut writers, and this is really relating to traditional authors, say that they require a bit of toughness or at least a bit of pragmatism. And it's a basically, again, and it's an interest article, uh, but because we're all writers, I think you'll find it an interesting read. It's basically talking about our expectations when we release our first book or if our first book is published versus the reality. And um, I found it a really interesting read. So I'll share it with you because I think you might get some interest out of that. That'll be on the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. An excellent episode from Sasha Black on her podcast this week. I've told you how much I love the the Black Heron episodes with Rachel Heron and Sasha when they're talking about their business and really deep diving with their businesses. I think those are, I just love those episodes. 
Sasha this year, I beg your pardon, Sasha this week has released her four-year review, her review of being in business for four years. And it was just, it was a brilliant episode. She's, you know, really producing some great stuff. This episode was was excellent. It's a bit of an emotional ride, as well as a reality check. Very, very strong episode that and the sort of advice and the learnings that she's got from four years in business very strong very powerful so i really heartily recommend that that podcast episode to you and i will put the direct link to it on the show notes this week one link that came in just before i started recording was from bookbub this is a fascinating article and it's particularly relevant to me the man who needs to get writing mailer like emails very soon the clock's ticking i can't avoid it for much longer not now book three's written i'm going to be ordering my book covers very soon so when those book covers are there i'm going to have to bite the bullet and start writing mailer like emails but this article from bookbub is called the state of author newsletters data from 500 plus authors now it's presented primarily as an infographic but there's lots of data and information on there too and it's basically a breakdown of of you know the, the writers what genre they're writing in how many books have they published um whether they're self-published hybrid or traditional and then also how often do they send emails what content do they send in their emails how do they build their email list and then how many subscribers do they have um which platform do they use interestingly MailerLite is the most used and mailchimp is next it's a really interesting article about authors and email marketing so i've put the direct link to that article on this week's show notes and as ever heartily recommend that you give it a read and then the last thing in this this list of links is from jenny nash who i believe is the book coach that james blatch talks to um, on the self-publishing show what is it whatever mark dawson's podcast is called self-publishing something uh, that podcast jenny nash talks to james blatch i think she helped him with his book well jenny nash was mentioned in a podcast or a webinar that i was listening to this week and it was a free resources page that jenny nash provides now i was listening to this information on a, a pro writing aid webinar which was presented by Samantha Scarl, but she cross-referenced the fact that she works with Jenny Nash and gave a link to a free resources page. And the, the URL is jennynash.com forward slash blueprint. And you've got three PDF downloads there about writing either fiction or non-fiction books. And I thought they were a really excellent free resource. So I thought I'd better share that with you and tell you about them. But it was just one of the excellent presentations I've been viewing on Pro Writing Aid uh, this week. And I've got a lot to catch up on still because the content's been brilliant. So all those links, I said there's a lot of them. I've only given you usually a very bad, poor quality summary of them. But if you want to check any of those out, they're all listed there. So you don't have to go hunting on this week's show notes for episode 16. Okay, we're nearly finished now. That's the kind of writing stuff finished. So if you don't like the personal updates and the healthy author updates, you can go and put the kettle on. As far as personal updates are concerned, well, uh, we've missed a week with these diaries, of course. Uh, my mum was uh, up. It all worked perfectly. We did. It was like doing some kind of drugs exchange because I drove down to Lancaster to the McDonald's there. My brother-in-law had driven my mum from Lincolnshire to Lancaster, where he's got reason to be working. So we, we, literally, we literally did a car park exchange with my mum in McDonald's at Lancaster. We, we did go for a tea and a burger uh, before we actually did the exchange, but it felt like one of these dodgy exchanges you might make if you were doing County Lines drugs or something like that, only it was just my mum and my mum's suitcase that we were exchanging in the vehicles. Um, so we did that um, and I drove her up here. We had a great week up here and then we repeated the exercise last Friday with, <laughs> with that dodgy handover in the McDonald's car park again. But it got mum here, you know, here and back without having to use the trains or anything like that. So it worked, it worked really well, actually. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do that again. So that was that's where I disappeared to for that week. And then I, I want to get some editing done over the next week. But I've got to have to be flexible because my eldest child is buying or has bought and is moving into a house over the weekend and next week. So it's going to be quite disruptive in that I've made the car offer and said, because they don't have a car. So I've made the, the dad offer of you could use the car and throw bits in if you want. Now, they're getting removal people in to do the actual move. But I said, you know, there's always the little bits like the kettle and your, your evening meal. 
and they've got the cat and things like that. And obviously that can't go to a removal van. So I've, I'm on hand to do the little shuffles with the car, although I'm not doing the big move. And I've offered to show them how to plumb in the washing machine and the dishwasher when they get there. So I'm kind of doing dad duties over the next couple of days to just make sure they're in and sorted out in their new house. So it may be a disrupted week this week, but I'm hoping to get as much editing done as possible. If I had to drop the editing this week, I'd still hit all my deadlines, but I would like to get some editing done if I can. So I'll tell you how that goes next week when I give you my update. As far as healthy author updates are concerned, well, what can I tell you? I've just been doing all the things that I was supposed to do. I did a, when I went to pick my mum up on the Sunday, we did the 10K. I had a brilliant race, lovely, lovely race in Lancaster doing that 10K. Other than that, I've just been doing all my normal runs. So I've got a 5K at Park Run on Saturday. I'm at the Nature Reserve on Sunday. Um, not, uh, am I doing treadmill runs? I've got a bit, of, um, the running's a bit disrupted next week. So I think I'm on the treadmill twice next week. I can't go with the running club because the running club nights have changed. There's all sorts of funny things going on with the running club. So I'll be on the treadmill twice next week and I'm still doing the weights and the stretching exercises and they're killing me. Uh, but hopefully they're doing me some good, but they're really tough. So I'm obviously doing the right app at the moment as far as healthy author updates are concerned. Oh, and incidentally, I, I can report this to you next week, but I am on target. I don't know whether you remember me saying this in the Healthy Author updates. On Strava, I was going to try and get 100 kilometres in this month of running, and I will reach that. I think I'm going to reach that on Sunday. I'm going to, I'm going to get the 100 kilometres in this month. So I'm going to try to get 100 kilometre, 100 kilometres of running in each month now over May, June, July, August, September, uh, all the light months. So, um, you know, till it goes, till the clocks go back basically, uh, to the end of October, I'm going to try and have 100k uh, running months, if I can, because I've got quite a lot of 10ks on during that time. Okay, if you want to check out my healthy author updates and images, you can head for paulteague.net forward slash run. If you want to get any of those links, you'll find those at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Otherwise, that is it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague, it's bye-bye for now.